you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. What a joy it is to sing God's praise. Uh, Let me add to the welcomes that you've already received. Welcome to those that are streaming online as well. Well, according to the Australian National Retailers Association, it is forecast that $60 billion will be spent by Australians during the five-week Christmas retail period. That is a lot of cash. Now, that number has increased significantly from pre-COVID pandemic figures. Now, the advice at the beginning of this season from the Australian National Retailers Association is shop early and shop often. And the average adult in Australia will be spending $1,232 specifically on Christmas-related Things with the largest proportion of that figure are spent on Christmas gifts. How are you going with your gift buying? Quick show of hands if you have finished. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. Yes. Okay, quick show of hands if you haven't yet started. Let's give them a round of applause as an encouragement. Yes, well done. Now, finally, show of hands if your spouse looks after these things and you're actually not quite sure where things are up to at all. Let's not give them a round of applause. That's me too. Let's not give them a round of applause. But hey, it might well be that this morning you are in the category where, look, you've almost finished shopping, but you've got one or maybe two of those people left. Who are those people? They are the ones that are hard to buy for. Perhaps they're picky. Uh, Perhaps they have everything already. How do you buy a gift for the person who has everything? They don't need anything and anything they do need, you probably can't afford. You know, the very first Christmas after the birth of Christ Jesus, there were some shoppers who were faced with the same question. What do you buy for Jesus' birthday? Well, we've had Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 11 read out for us. And in this part of the narrative, we learn about the visit of the Magi, or in our translation, the wise men. Who were the wise men? Well, they were pagan astrologers. They've come from a distant land following a star, bringing gifts to Jesus to worship Jesus. Now, does anyone know how many wise men there were? How many? Shout it out. Three. Three. Maybe. We're not actually sure. It's traditionally understood to be three, but the text doesn't actually say there were three wise men. It says that there were three gifts that they brought, but we don't know 
whether there was three of them or whether there was even more of them. We're also likewise not sure exactly how much longer after Jesus' birth he arrived. Traditionally, it's considered that they arrived on the 12th day, but Jesus is now at home and it could be as much as a year or so after Jesus' birth. Now, we've just uh, sung an incredible newish Christmas carol, Joy Has Dawned by Getty and Townend, uh, two of the finest modern day hymn writers. Check out uh, the whole, the whole, all four verses are stunning. Uh, but have a look at verse number four again uh, and reflect for a moment with me on it. Uh, it says, shepherds bow before the lamb, uh, gazing at the glory. Gifts of men from distant lands prophesy the story. Gold, a king is born today. Incense, God is with us. Myrrh, his death will make a way and by his blood he'll win us. You notice there it says prophesy the story. These gifts prophesy the story. The gold, the incense and the myrrh are suggested to prophesy, make known more of the story of Jesus that is to come. Now, this idea was first suggested all the way back in 248 AD by Origen of Alexandria. And he said this, gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense as to a god. That sounds pretty cool. having an allegorical type of understanding of the gold, of the incense and of the myrrh. But is that what the wise men had in mind as they gave their gifts? And is that what Matthew has in mind as he records it in his biography of Jesus? To be honest, I'm not sure. But if nothing else, These three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh are costly gifts that show something of the worth and the value of Christ Jesus. However, regardless of the intentionality of the wise men's gift choice or of Matthew's intention as a gospel writer, as we take a step back, There are enough clues in and around this narrative to suggest that in some way, these wise men are helping us to see something significant about the identity of Jesus. And so here's the big question that we will consider this morning. What do these three gifts reveal about who Jesus is? Got the question? What do these gifts reveal about who Jesus is? Who's ready for the first thing? 1.3 people. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. <laughs> Who's ready for the first one? There we go. That's a bit more Christmas spirit. The first one. Gold. A king is born today. Gold is a rare, durable and valuable commodity. In the Bible and in the ancient world, gold is the sign of great wealth. And often it was those with power, those who rule, royalty, who had the most gold. 
It is certain that the claim of the very first followers of Jesus is that in his birth, we are meeting royalty. We have the birth of a king. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, keep it out, keep it open. The verses will also be on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you a gift this Christmas. And so please go and see our team out at the info desk after the service. We'd love to put one in your hands. But Matthew chapter 2, beginning at sentence number 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, which by the way is the royal city, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They've seen the star. And who are they seeking? The one born king of the Jews. Now, these are astrologers. They are from a distant land and they were experts when it came to the stars in the sky above. But upon seeing this star, they come with their gifts to meet this king born in a manger. The birth of this king was a threat, though, to one of the kings in the land at the time. Look at sentence number three. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, in sentence four there, Jesus is described as the Christ. Uh, for some of us, maybe we just think of the name Christ as Jesus' last name, but it's not his last name, it's actually a title. And who was the Christ? Well, the word Christ is a Greek word that is parallel with a a Hebrew word that many people would be familiar with, which is Messiah. Uh, The English is anointed one. (laughs) So we've got Christ, Messiah, anointed one. And the Christ, Messiah, anointed one was the King of Kings, promised by God in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, who would one day come to rule all people, established on his throne for all eternity. You know, there was a long line of kings who were descendants of great King David in the Bible. Those who are regularly part of this church, we looked at some of the kings in that family tree over the last month or so. And each king in the line of David was a Christ, was a Messiah, was an anointed one. And with every single one, the question was, the question was is this the Christ? Is this the king of kings that God's people were waiting for? The astonishing claim at the birth of Jesus is that, yes, this is the Christ. This is the King of Kings. And if this truly is the King of Kings, then that has massive implications for all of God's people in the first century, 
for all of the wise men and others from distant lands, likewise in the first century, and also for all of us today. Because if Jesus is God's promised king, worthy of receiving gold because of his claim to the throne, his rule is an eternal rule and his rule extends beyond the first century into our day and beyond. And it means that he rules, he reigns, he is in charge, and he has a claim upon every single person who has ever lived. Can you see this Christmas that that baby born in Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ, is the king? of the universe. And can you see this Christmas that he is to be your king in charge of you as well? Our big question, what do these gifts reveal about who Jesus is? First, gold. A king is born today. Second, incense. God is with us. One of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus was frankincense. Now, frankincense, along with incense in general, was used in the Jewish place of worship, in the temple, as a perfume that would send up a fragrant smoke to God that the Bible describes as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And so the smell of Incense was almost like a tangible sense of God's holiness and of God's presence. And have a look at the following from our first reading today regarding the birth of Jesus. It says in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 1, uh, sentence number 22, it says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sentence 23 there is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7, a, a prophetic book that was written 700 years BC. That Jesus was miraculously born to a virgin is the fulfillment of this promise. Who is the one born to the virgin? Well, his name is Emmanuel. And just in case you don't know what the name Emmanuel does, thank you, Matthew, for putting it in parenthesis for us, which means God with us. God with us. You see, the claim of the Christian Gospels is that with the birth of Jesus Christ, we are meeting God with us. Jesus is God come amongst us in the flesh. Isn't that remarkable? You know, some like to think that God is distant and aloof. You know, he created the world and then he doesn't have much to do with it. But the birth of Christ reminds us that God is not distant, but that he is near. Yes, he is transcendent. 
He is the almighty and everlasting God of the universe. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours, but he is also imminent. He comes near to us. He can be known personally. Isn't that remarkable? That the God with no beginning and no end, the God who made heavens and the earth can be known intimately by his creatures. This week, our nation has looked on at the tragedy that has taken place on the final day in a Tasmanian primary school. Five children's lives were lost in a tragic accident. What a horrific moment for that school, for those families, and indeed all of those near and far connected to these events. It is a horrible reminder that not everyone will be joyful in their celebration of Christmas this year. Whether it's those families mourning the loss of precious little ones in this past week, whether it's those of us missing other family members who are no longer seated at the table, or perhaps those who are unable to be with family because of ongoing travel restrictions. Or perhaps even those who are all too familiar of another Christmas alone. My guess is in a group of this size, there are certainly those of us who are not looking forward to Christmas. Maybe you struggle to remember the last time you looked forward to Christmas. The incense given to Jesus, the frankincense given to Jesus by those wise men is a reminder that in Jesus, we have God with us. He is not distant from you. He has come near. He knows our weakness, suffering and need. Listen, he knows your weakness suffering and need. I pray that those particularly feeling pain at this time of the year will know the wonderful promise in that child that God is for us and that God is with us. That God is with you and therefore God is for you. You know, the big question we're considering this morning is what do these gifts reveal about who Jesus is? First, gold. A king is born today. Second, incense. God is with us. And the third and final thing is myrrh. His death will make a way. Myrrh is actually a burial spice. 
Uh, We actually read by the end of the gospel accounts that Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus? He's the one that comes to visit Jesus early on in the gospels. At nighttime, he's a Pharisee and he is eager to learn about who Jesus is. We presume that by the end of the gospels, he's now a follower of Jesus and he is there bringing myrrh for Jesus' burial uh, by the end of the gospels. And perhaps even in this gift given by the wise men, his death is already in view. Because the reality is we don't need to wait until the end of the gospels, the end of this narrative to be certain of his death and the importance of it. Have a look with me at Matthew chapter 1, sentence 21. This is the angel speaking to Joseph. The angel says, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We know that the name Emmanuel is significant because God is with us. And we know that even the name Jesus, a fairly common name, has a significance about it because the name Jesus means God saves. He will be called Jesus. Because what will Jesus save? Well, God will save God's people from their sin. You will give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You know, this morning, um, it is right and appropriate to acknowledge the mess that sin can land us in, right? might well be that you're conscious of your own sin this morning and the, your ways in which you've messed things up because of the way you have sinned. Or it might well be that you're here this morning and you're still conscious of the ways that you've been wounded and scarred by sin that's been done against you. Sin is a failure to love God. Sin is a failure to love our neighbour as ourselves. Sin is obviously rule-breaking when we, when we fail to do the things God says to do and when we do do the things God says don't do. And the deeper heart of sin is that, that desire to, to make up our own rules, to live as if there is no God, to live as if we are in control and we are in charge. And the reality is, I think scripture makes this clear on repeat and I think human experience backs it up is that all people without exception are guilty of sin. You know, those in the time of Jesus and all people throughout time, including us, we are all in need of salvation. We need to be saved from the consequences of our own mess, the consequences of our own sin. You see, in Jesus, God came to earth on a mission to do what? To save sinners. Notice uh, what it says about something of how Jesus will save in in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at sentence number 5. It says, They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
You see, there's a, a ruler who will come from this tribe, from these people. A ruler who will come to shepherd God's people, the people Israel. And here's the thing, if you've been tracking with the narrative so far, in the Old Testament in particular, we see the performance is lacking from the previous shepherds of Israel, whether it's the kings or other leaders or even prophets or more recently the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, those who were called to shepherd the flock have failed to care for the sheep as God would have them. And because of their failure, God has come to do it right. You see, Jesus who is God come amongst us in the flesh, is able to shepherd God's sheep better than any shepherd who's come before. Because Jesus is the only one of whom it can be said he was without sin. And so where the previous shepherds have failed to display a godly life, Jesus, his life is without blemish. You know, I love the, the heart of Jesus on display throughout the gospel accounts. Uh, a little bit later on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, the idea behind the word compassion there is he felt it deeply in his gut. He's moved by the plight of this people that are in front of him. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion for the broken, for the needy, for the lost sheep. And ultimately, he is the shepherd that the sheep so desperately need. And he is the shepherd who has come to save them from their folly, to save them from their sin, to save them from the consequences of their sin. You know, ultimately this Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sin, he does it by his death. You know, we read in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says this about himself and why he came in the first place. Verse 28, he says, even as the son of man, that's him talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus has come to serve. Not only has Jesus lived a perfect life without blemish, but he dies a sacrificial death. He gives his life as a ransom for many. At great cost, he gave up his own life. He dies our death that we can live. The shepherd becomes a sheep. The shepherd becomes a sheep that goes to the slaughter, the innocent one without blemish, willingly comes on a mission into the world to go to the cross, to lay down his life and ultimately to take it back up again. Death could not hold him down. The ransom has been paid. Jesus is alive. He is the king who rules and reigns on the throne of David for eternity. 
You know, as you read through the gospel according to Matthew, and look, if you're new to Jesus and Christianity, it's a great place to start and I'd encourage you to read the whole of it. And as you read through this biography, you'll notice that Jesus came into the world to do all sorts of things. He teaches with an authority that has never been seen before. He heals the sick. He calms the storm. He performs countless miracles. He behaves with, a, with an example and uh, a calmness under fire like no one has before him. But ultimately, of all the reasons why he came, you can see that the ultimate one is that he came to die, to win us by his blood. He, he came that he would die on that cross, be buried in that tomb and have the myrrh, the burial spices placed upon him. You know, we must be in a pretty desperate situation if the only way for the creator to rescue his people from their sin is to enter into his creation. You know, I love in that, uh, the song that we sung uh, in verse two, it spoke about hands that set each star in place, shaped the earth in darkness, cling now to a mother's breast, vulnerable and helpless. You know, those hands that have, have formed the universe those hands that have held the universe in his own palms have, have now taken on flesh, are now vulnerable and helpless and eventually go to a cross to have nails pierced through them. What a remarkable feat. What a remarkable saviour. Well, we've seen the three gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. As I said at the beginning, I'm not sure if that was the symbolism of those gifts in the original intention, but there is more than enough in the, these accounts to point us beyond the manger and see who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Jesus is the King, the everlasting ruler. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is the saviour. And by his death, he does make a way for us to know God. You know, as I began today discussing the purchasing of gifts, perhaps you do still have that gift to buy for that person who has everything. Good luck uh, as you go about that gift purchasing in the next few days. But I want you to think for a moment about what type of gift you could give Jesus this year. My daughter in the lead up to Christmas this year has been saying, well, what, why do we get gifts at Christmas time? Ought we not be giving them to Jesus? And there's a good question there, isn't there? But what could you possibly give to Jesus who owns the heavens and the earth, who's the ruler of all things? Have you got some spare gold? Bit of perfume, bit of myrrh, bit of Bitcoin in your wallet? A voucher? No, don't get Jesus a voucher. Don't get anyone a voucher. That is so lame. That is so thoughtless. And you, if you feel condemned right now, you should. <laughs> I'm guilty of buying vouchers too, so I feel the condemnation. But what, what do we give to Jesus? Well, Jesus has given us everything. And so we give to Jesus everything. 
Not just our leftovers and the the last bits. We give him our best. He doesn't need our gifts. But like those wise men on that first Christmas, they saw, sentence number two, the star, and they came to pay homage, to worship this king. And then look what happens as they draw near. Chapter two, sentence number nine. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This kind of repeats the word joy in there. They rejoiced with joy and there was lots of joy. It was exceeding and there was lots of joy there filled They're overjoyed. Their joy, their joyometer is going through the roof. They are filled with exceeding joy as they meet Jesus. In sentence 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him their best, and then they bow before him. You see, ultimately, the only right response to Jesus must be worship of Jesus. Filled with awe, filled with joy, we worship. Brothers, sisters, are you already a worshipper of Jesus? Let me urge you, that even perhaps in the midst of pain and difficult circumstances in your life and in the world, may this season, may this Christmas, may you be filled with joy again as we celebrate the coming of our King, our God, the one who has come to rescue us. But look, it might be this morning that you're here and you're not yet a worshipper of Jesus. We are so glad that you're here. We hope you'll come back. Uh, Not just at Christmas time, you're welcome any week. We talk about Jesus every single week and we think he's worth considering every single week. Friends, I want you to hear this morning that this message is for you. You know, the, the wise men were physically and spiritually far off from God. Likewise, you might feel physically and spiritually far off from God. Perhaps you're ashamed or angry or annoyed and there's, there's kind of things that are keeping you from God and, and you kind of go, this doesn't feel like it's for me and you're far off and yet I want you to see that God has drawn near to you and let me urge you to draw near to him. You know, perhaps you've heard enough. Maybe you've been coming to church on and off for a time. Maybe you've been around a little bit more recently. Maybe this Jesus stuff has been part of your story growing up and, and yet there's other things that are competing for your attention and your affection and your um, emotions. Let me urge you this Christmas to turn away from those things, as important as some of those things may well be, and give your adoration, your worship, your all to this King. Give everything to him who has given everything for you. I'm going to conclude by praying. And uh, I'm going to pray twice, actually. And the first prayer I'm going to pray is a prayer that I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Uh, If you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer. But look, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're ready to become one, I want you to pray this prayer as as a first step in becoming a Christian.
uh, in, in, in seeking to turn from the things of this world and to worship Jesus, uh, the King who has come. It's a sorry thanks please prayer. Uh, sorry, God, for my sin. Thank you, God, that Jesus lived and died and rose again. Please forgive me and please help me to love Jesus and live for Jesus. It's a prayer like that. Now I'm going to pray it right now. And I want to invite you to pray it uh, with me out loud. Uh, now, if you're praying it for the first time, know this. There'll be a whole bunch of people around you who have prayed this many times before. They don't need to become a Christian again. Uh, but this is a good shaped prayer to pray uh, in any season. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, friends, uh, let's pray this sorry, thanks, please prayer to God out loud. I'll pray a bit. I'll leave a gap. Let's pray together. Dear God. We'll do it again, out loud. Dear God, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for rejecting you. I don't deserve your love. Thanks for sending Jesus to die on the cross. In my place and for my sin. So I may be forgiven. Thanks that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me. Help me to love Jesus and live with Jesus as my King. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, good news. If you've prayed that prayer in particular for the first time, uh, you've just put your trust in Jesus. That's a big deal. That's good news of great joy. And we'd love to know. We'd love to help you with your next step. And so certainly tell the person who brought you to church today. Uh, but please come and speak with me. Speak with our team out at the info desk. Fill out one of our connect forms. Uh, we'd love to help you not just with the first step, but with the next step uh, to keep getting to know Jesus and working out what it means to follow after him. But church, would you all stand? Uh, we're about to sing to close out our service together. I'm going to pray one more time as well. Uh, and then we will sing loud and joyfully. Our gracious God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he came into this world. Uh, thank you so much that he is the king. Thank you that he is God with us. And thank you that ultimately he came, that he would go to the cross. He would die for us and he'd be raised again. Please help each of us, regardless of the things going on in our lives right now, to take time this Christmas to celebrate, to be joyful, knowing that we know him, knowing that we can worship him, knowing that we can give our all to him. And it's in his name that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.